are joined today by Jerry Pattengale and Reverend Johnny Moore. Uh, professor Pattengale is professor at Indiana Wesleyan University, and he's also founding scholar of the Museum of the Bible, a wonderful museum uh, that I was in just a few weeks ago. Uh, Reverend Moore is president of the Congress of Christian Leaders. He served on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, and he's, he's been involved in human rights uh, around the world. Their new book is called The New Book of Christian Martyrs, The Heroes of Our Faith from the First Century to the 21st Century. That's our topic today. Welcome, Professor Pattengale and Reverend Moore. Thanks, Mark. Good to be with you. It's good to be here. All right. Well, let's jump jump right in. Your book is an update, you say, on Fox's Book of Martyrs. Uh, maybe I'll ask Professor Pattengale first. What was that earlier volume? Well, John Fox lived around the time of uh, Queen Mary, and she's dubbed Bloody Mary uh, inappropriately, but uh, she reigned from 1553 to 1558, and it was kind of a reaction to all of the Protestants that were being killed and his view slaughtered. And he did four volumes in his lifetime. And so the, the issue became, over the years, this book grew larger and larger. Johnny and I were just at a, a book launch at Indiana Wesleyan University, big crowd and everything, and the Remnant Trust brought the original Fox you almost need a shopping cart. It was so large. And they brought two editions. So they became larger and larger and larger. What Johnny and I decided to do was to update it, but mainly to focus on an ecumenical approach. And I'll let Johnny talk about how we changed from just this diatribe against the Catholic Church to actually saying, wait a minute, there are martyrs involved. So Johnny, you want to talk to that part of this update? Yeah, ha happy to do it. First of all, I could have never written this book without Professor Pat Gala and his uh, in, in incredible, astute work as a as a professor of history. And like like lots and lots of, of believers, you know, from my tradition, like I I grew up knowing Fox's Book of Martyrs. But as I traveled around the world, I was encountering all kinds of, of people who were dying for the faith. And I I remember Pope Francis um, when ISIS was at its height said that there was an ecumenism of blood. And in many ways, that is what in, inspired me to ask, like, what if we what if we educated a whole generation of Christians, whether they're Protestants or Catholic or whatever, uh, about our collective stories? And so we took Fox's Book of Martyrs and on, on top of Fox's Book of Martyrs, um, we, we sort of did we, we did two things. We contextualize it because a lot of modern readers don't know history. And secondly, we ecumenized it. And so you find in the book um, while preserving the history of the text, um, which was very much a Protestant anti-Catholic text. We integrated stories of Catholic martyrs and Orthodox martyrs. And, and as you go throughout the 600 page book, which is originally 800 pages, <laughs> we had to leave 200 pages behind. Uh, you find uh, as you get towards the end of the book, more and more, uh, more and more martyrs from all the different Christian traditions, almost indistinguishable uh, because the fact of the matter is we're living in a world where more Christians are being killed now than in many collective centuries um, combined. And so it's a, uh, it is a piece of history uh, rewritten for a new age, but it's written for our age. And that includes our ecumenism of blood. You begin the profiles with John the Baptist. Is it, in what way was John the Baptist killed because of his faith? Well, when Herod calls for his head, 
it's a direct response to the fact that Christ was overshadowing, the message of Christ was overshadowing the position, authority, and primacy of Herod. And uh, he didn't he didn't like that. And so, you know, John went to prison as a forerunner of Christ. And so you have in the beheading of John the Baptist, um, really a death that it can be attributed to none other than his role in, in what he was doing for uh, the Messiah. And people need to understand these deaths precisely because of the faith that they held. They are martyred. We call them martyrs, martyrdom, not just killing, precisely because they are killed because of their belief. Is that is that essential to the definition of martyrdom here? It, it's at, a, at its heart, ex, except to say uh, one, one of the more difficult decisions that we had to make uh, was determining what exactly was a was a martyr. And you do find in this book um, that uh, that sometimes we we conclude that certain people were martyrs who didn't face the convert or die question. They were just they were just serving the Lord in some kind of hostile environment. Uh, and they lost their faith because of it. So, so in in certain select cases, you know, as the church has done in its tradition for for many centuries, we said that those people are also martyrs, right? Because it was their most martyrs face the convert or die question, but but many other martyrs, you know, they they're they're just serving the Lord in very very difficult places, and because of that, you know, they lose their lives, whether they were an activist or a humanitarian worker. So we we put it all together, and yet in in my personal experience, like as a um, someone wandering around the world talking to persecuted Christians, um, the surviving victims of those those who've been killed, I just have really come to the conclusion that you cannot be a discipled Christian unless you're either being persecuted yourself or unless you are um, somehow close to the persecuted church. You're, you're providing financial help, you're praying for them, you're reading their stories, you're passing their stories to future generations. And this was like a normal thing in Christian history. I mean, that's why we have these historic texts. Uh, that's why you have these uh, um, uh, these amazing statutes and and uh, and how art carried on these stories for centuries in its various forms. And yet, somehow, we have we've we've missed it seems um, the 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 importance in many circumstances of passing these stories on. And so, so we decided that martyrs, um, in, in effect, they're, in our modern time, I mean, there are plenty of people whose faith calls them to do something difficult. And because of that, that they, they died for their faith. But the lessons, um, there's so many lessons that we're missing in our discipleship because we're not exposing our, our young people, our next generation to these stories. I say like the, the Bible um, tells you how to live, but the stories of martyrs, sometimes recorded in the Bible and sometimes not, they remind us of the cost of this faith and we're called to count the cost before we commit. Why don't we hear more in the churches, in the catechism, about the martyrs? Why is it that martyrdom is not actually included in your understanding of your own faith? The fact, the fact that you are going to be in conflict frequently in your life because of your faith, that's not something to run away from. It's not something to ignore. It's part of your faith. Why don't we hear more about that? It's just too, is that, does it frighten people too much? Does, do they think that it'll scare, it'll, it'll empty the pews? It sure, 
it emptied the theaters. I, I was actually working on this bookmark with uh, Johnny, and I was at Tenda House, Cambridge, working in the Cambridge University Library. And I get a text, maybe it's from Johnny, I can't remember. Uh, he said, the movie Silence is on at the theater in Cambridge. So I went to the theater after two days of being with the original Fox's book, you know, kind of a dark uh, research, if you will. Went to the theater, walked in, there were only, there was one family and one other individual in the entire theater. And one of the families was eating popcorn with children. It was just kind of a, it was just surrealistic. It, it's, it wasn't attractive to the audiences to go hear about slaughter. And, you know, Cherise is an awesome director, but it was such a heavy, just depressing movie. It wasn't, you know, didn't have that big redemptive ending. And I think that's part of it, Mark, is that it's just tough to keep hearing about it. And it just is. So, John, you might add to that. And a lot of Christians, I mean, living in, in the West, they feel that they're disconnected from these things, right? So those are, those are oh, I feel sorry for those people, but, you know, that happens in other places. And I thank God for my freedom, you know, but, and I pray and I pray for them, but I'm not sure that we, um, well, let, let me put it this way. Like, I never draw comparisons um, fundamentally between Christians being beheaded by ISIS or Boko Haram or al-shabaab and, and christians being discriminated against because of their because of their beliefs um, except to say that the the fundamental equation at its root is the same it's it is change your beliefs or else and sometimes changing your beliefs or else looks like uh, the 21 cops at the hands of isis and sometimes it's if you change your beliefs or you're not going to get the promotion or you change your beliefs or, you know, you're, you're going to, you're going to, your children are going to be treated differently. And when I read the new Testament, I don't find a new Testament, which tells us, you know, prepare yourself for a wonderful life where everyone's going to love you and agree with you all the time. I read the apostle Paul writing things like, if you care about the opinions of people, you can't be a servant of Jesus. You know, it's, it's, at the heart of Christianity is this assumption that we should not assume that people are going to treat us any differently than they treated Jesus himself. And, and I think there's like, in the West, we feel like because we don't face the egregious things, then we get to those stories, you know, on, on the weekend a year where we pray for the persecuted church. But there are exceptions, like the Coptic church, where every year at their new year, um, at their new year um, uh, a celebration, uh, when they go through their their own liturgy, the, the liturgy is dedicated to the persecuted. I mean, it, it is at the heart of the Coptic experience, you know, as a minority community being in Egypt for all of those centuries, that this is, it's a matter of, it's a matter of when, not not if. And so that's why they teach their, their, their children, you know, and cops all over the country have a cross tattooed on their arm uh, so that in, in a moment of fragile faith, uh, that they can't hide their faith because it's it's on hmm. their arm. It's why it's why pastors and priests all around the world they they wear. It's you know I I always admire every time I see Pope Francis that cross he wears, which was given to him by an Iraqi priest who was martyred, whose story we tell in this book. Um, so I I don't I don't know what it is, but we need a shock to the system. Is, isn't blessed are those who are persecuted? Isn't that a positive message? 
I mean, that is the magical part of this. Like I, I always say that there are there are like secrets to Christianity that you only understand when your faith is under pressure or when you when you're inspired by those whose faith faith is un, under under pressure. And you know, I, I you know, I'm sure Jerry, there are a thousand different words that Jesus could have chosen, um, but instead he chose the word blessed. You know, and I and I think that said something to the early uh, to the early church. Yes, I, I, I think from day one, to take up your cross and follow me was a request. And we have this in various manuscripts. So the historical um, value of that statement is real. I mean, you know, when we look at ancient manuscripts, the attestation of those words is pretty solid from the first century on. And so you knew when you were becoming a Christian, especially in those um, areas, you, you just knew that it was... Um, it was going to be a hard journey. And so that's, in some ways, that's hard to recruit people to that. But in other ways, you see, uh, even in modern society, people rising up for movements and revolutions. And and it was kind of revolutionary. Um, you know, as I read through these accounts, you find that people get motivated by this. They don't really know how they would react themselves. Mark, if you go to the first edition King James Bible, 1611 the cover page doesn't have flowers and roses it has this great grand panel and above the balcony so you have Aaron and Moses on the pillars above the balcony you have the apostles holding the instruments with which they are killed Bartholomew uh, thinks holding a, um, a, a knife he was filleted alive and you have the, the, the cross saw and so forth. And at the bottom of that page, you have a pelican voling its chest, feeding its young from its blood. So, you know, even in the popular King James Bible, you, you have this bold statement about sacrifice of those people gone before. And the sad part about that statement, Mark, is uh, in the book over and over again, we have to say, and thousands were killed that day. So we have no yeah. idea what their names were in Millions and millions of people have gone to their death simply because they were Christians that will never know who they were. That's how many have been persecuted. Your your section on, when you get to the 20th century, speaking of numbers, uh, starting with the Boxer uh, Rebellion, the victims of that in China, you title that section Millions of Martyrs. That's literal, isn't it? Yes, it is. John, you want to speak to where most of the people are dying today? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 more than literal. It's probably an underestimate. I mean, we, um, I mean, the 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 well-established fact is that there have been more martyrs in the previous century, in the twentieth century, than in all the pre the, the the preceding centuries combined. And there and there are all these like little facts that people don't realize. Uh, for instance, um, because of the egregious horrific martyrdom we've seen in recent years at the hands of Islamic terrorists, which, which persist and persist particularly in West, West Africa. I wrote a whole additional book on that called The Next Jihad. But it's still the fact that communist ideologies are the primary killer of Christians. And they were the primary killer of Christians in the, in the, in the last century. And so you have these like just story after story after story. And when you look at these stories, um, they just show you things you didn't see before. I mean, I, I, it's, like F, all over the world, there are people that are willing to die for a faith 
that we're barely willing to live for. And yet it's the same Jesus. It's the same Bible. It's the same church. It's the same, same Christianity. And I think it calls on all of us who don't face that persecution, or at least don't yet face that persecution to, to sort of like look at our own faith and, and, and ask us, ask ourselves, like, what is it that we're, that we're missing? And it's like, a, it, it's like supercharging to your, to your faith when you read these stories, because these, these are stories of heroes of our faith, but I'm going to be clear that these aren't super Christians. Okay. These are regular Christians who lived in a different place at a different time and faced, um, faced a, a, a different type of situation. I mean, one of the martyrs in, in the, in the modern account, um, was a young woman who was in, uh, in, in my co-author Jerry Pattengill, who's in, in our conversation here, was in his Sunday school class at, 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 you know, and, and was a, a graduate of Indiana Wesleyan, Wesleyan University. She, she, you know, she could have done all kinds of things. She could have gone to work on Wall Street or, you know, to, to take a normal job in the United States. But instead, she chose to go to the other side of the world and to work with a ministry that had been operating in Afghanistan for 50 years. And regimes came and went, kings and Taliban and everything else. But this ministry stayed. And then just one day, they're outside of Kabul and they run upon... Uh, the, these this faction of the Taliban and and they they killed her for her uh, for her faith and and you would think that every Christian in the United States of America would know this story like and the fact of the matter is one of the reasons why this book needed to be written and needed to be updated is too few know the stories of these of these heroes of our modern time as well right yeah that was Cheryl Beckett uh, Cheryl Beckett's father helped me write that entry and he. He wrote it from her journal and in her journal, you know, she was just reflecting in devotions from Afghanistan and talked about first John three sixteen, and was asking now, how will I understand this great sacrifice unto death? What does that really mean? And her dad is reading his journal shortly after her death. And he helped me write that section with Johnny. And then um, it just is, hmm. it's, it's just a, Mark, they were literally at a, at a crossing of the water, and the water had risen too high, and these 10 medical missionaries were just there waiting for the water to subside. And the Taliban came, saw a Bible in the dash, and lined them up and shot them one at a time. And the only one who lived was the driver who told the story who was quoting the Quran. And you can imagine the shockwaves. You know, I'm fortunate to serve on the membership committee for the National Press Club for probably 10 years. When we go to the press club, if there's a journalist who's in captivity somewhere being taken, like right now, you see the big panel. It's right in front of you. And it shows yeah. the number of days and hours and minutes. We have to go to Times Square and fill every, every screen to try to capture even the leading voices uh, among the Christians that are in captivity. I think the yeah. National Press Club does it right. I, I love going there and seeing that as a reminder of how blessed we are, but that's, you know, that's how tough this is. Uh, one, one story about China, Mark, I had the privilege of sitting with the cellmate at the Museum of the Bible. We, we had a wonderful exhibit on Watchman Nee. And we interviewed for that, the cellmate of Watchman Nee for nine years. Pastor Wu, uh, we were sitting at lunch before I realized who he was. Uh, we were staying in the same place and, uh, uh, we had a lot of um, uh, people there um, of Asian, um, uh, either descent or, or 
uh, connections and so forth. And we're talking, and as soon as I realized who he was and I asked a question, this kind of common conversation went so intense so quickly that all these years later, he still was laser focused on those years of Watchman Nee. And before it was over, in tears, the whole table's gripped with him. He donated the only artifact we know from an incarcerated martyr, and that's the pen of Watchman Nee. And to hear these people and the experiences they've had, I will tell you, after writing this book with Johnny, 270,000 words over seven plus years, moments like that, I mean, grip me, even after all that, I'm sitting there and couldn't get, couldn't get enough of it. And I thought, wow, and you go to bed at night, so, you know, you're talking about a motivation. And yeah. it, 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 was, it was riveting. Even well-known episodes are often underappreciated for their religious dimension. It's not just the Armenian genocide, is it? It's the Armenian Christian genocide, correct? Precisely. What happened there? Yeah, and there, and there. I mean, this is a, this is like a million Christians being killed a century ago, and and in in the first Christian nation, you know, with with the oldest continuing existing churches in the world, and and yet it is ironic, isn't it, that so often when these stories are spoken about, that we exclude the word we exclude the word Christian. I'll tell you another one. You know, that's that's not about a million people. It's about one. It's about in Hong Kong, Jimmy Lai. You know, here's this incredibly, incredibly courageous man who stands up against the full force of the Chinese, Chinese Communist Party. And, and right now, while we're talking, he's in prison. And yet, um, I think one of the reasons why uh, the, the, the Chinese Communist Party sanctioned me is because when I started advocating for, for Jimmy Lai, I started saying that Jimmy Lai's faith is what motivated him to action. He's a Catholic that's what did this. This is what gave him. It wasn't his wealth. It wasn't his influence. It wasn't his power. He could have left the country and gone somewhere else. But as a, as a believing Catholic, he, he, he stood up against the weight of all of that tyranny. He's incarcerated right now. And it, it was just talking to um, a dissident uh, um, who has refuge in another country. I had a quiet meeting with him just the other day. And he told me there was a time where uh, at the beginning of the imprisonment where he was able to communicate um, with, with Jimmy. And sometimes Jimmy would just reply to him, not with words any longer, but just with a picture of Jesus. And I think, um, when we tell the story of the persecuted church, we're, we're showing these pictures of, of, of Jesus through the lives of everyday people. And it shows us something about our Christianity we don't understand. Uh, about martyrdom. When, when, when we have those situations where Renounce your God or die. Why not just go along with your captors? And when they let you go, you flee to a place where you can continue to spread the word. I mean, why, why not make that calculation? Well, Bonhoeffer talks a lot about that. I have another book coming out called Anxious Middle on Bonhoeffer's uh, words on this, where he talks about, you know, you're not just saving your life, you're actually helping other people lose theirs. They're losing their faith. And this is a call unto sacrifice. And so he looks at it much more theological. Um, you know, we have, uh, we have in the museum a recent um, donation, the, the Dachau Cross, where it's a Christian in captivity uh, during the Nazi um, thing. And 
could they have saved their life if they had renounced? Uh, I don't know, but probably. Um, in that case, I don't really know. But you see an artifact as someone at the bitter end who's still clinging to their belief in Christ. And we, we have an antiquity, Mark. You ask a great question because in antiquity, we have in Egypt and other places, we, we, have, the, we have the people just telling them, just, just make up something. In fact, my PhD is on, on the, um, the anagiroi without silver is what it means in Greek. And there were these physicians that, were, that, that practiced, and uh, one of them, a famous one, is Caluthus. And the essence of your question strikes at his death. The Romans called him out. And they asked him to make that token sacrifice, and he basically quoted Polycarp, saying, "How could I, uh, how could I reject him after he served me all these years?" And Polycarp is a little more specific, but they put him to death out in the desert, and the Romans tried not to kill him. They didn't want to kill him because everyone loved him. He was a doctor, but he said, "If I do that." What is that going to say to my family? How will they keep their faith? And, you know, those are the stories that we tell. Those, you know, um, so Caluthus, for me, became a hero early on. Johnny? The first rule of the world that we're living in now is self-preservation. But the first principle of Christianity is self-sacrifice. And greater love is no man than this, that he, he gives up his life for a friend. I mean, this is the ultimate picture of Jesus. And yet on the same token, um, we are also of a faith of, of grace. And, you know, one of the one of the early schisms in the church, in fact, the first schism of the church really had to do with um, those who were who were willing to die for their faith and those who recanted their faith and whether the church would let them back in. And I, I remember uh, being in the in the land of Augustine. Uh, in the land of uh, Perpetua um, in Tunisia. And I, I was walking around ruins with my students um, and there were ruins of churches very close together. And I asked, why are these churches, why were the churches so close together? And, and our, the historian that accompanied us explained, well, this was the, this was the, the I believe the Donatist schism where um, some of these churches welcomed back those who had recanted their faith and the others had never recanted their faith. As I'm listening to this story being told uh, in this country that once was the country of Augustine, I listened as the call of prayer from a neighboring mosque like echoed over the ruins of all of those churches. Almost no Christians left in those churches. And so our, as, a, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we don't have the option of denying Jesus. It's just not our option. <laughs> um, and yet, as people of grace, you know, those who in Christian history... Um, who didn't have the strength uh, to say those words, our church's doors um, should always be open, open to them as well, inspired by, um, by, by their sacrifice. You know, sometimes when reading your, your studies, your case studies, we'll put it that way, it made me wonder about the motivation of, of the killers. For instance, in 2003, we have the case of Annalena Tonelli. She's murdered in Somalia as she left one night the hospital where she had devoted herself to the care of the sick for years and years. And when, when you read of this, she's standing in front. It's what, midnight or so? Uh, and a man walks up next to her, puts a gun to her head and pulls the trigger. You, you, just, you just sit and wonder, why her? Is she a threat? 
What has she done? I mean, she's helped cure the sick in your own neighborhood. Why? What are they doing? If you believe the Bible, uh, you have to believe that Satan has blinded the eyes of those who don't believe. So, so blind that they even kill, even kill people like, like, and it's not, and not just her. There's so many, so many other examples uh, like this. And yet what we find in Christian history is that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, as, as Tertullian said. And those stories are the stories that are most amplified because there are thousands and thousands of people that love that woman whose lives were saved because of that woman whose lives were transformed. And what ends up happening is the church grows. It doesn't, it doesn't contract because of these stories. And sometimes God leaves people behind. You know, the, the, the story of the, um, the, the nuns uh, who were some, some of the last Christian workers in Yemen. Um, and yet not everyone was, was killed. You know, one, we, had, we had one person left over that could tell the story. And I think sometimes God preserves these stories with the, with the expectation that his followers and that his church will amplify, amplify those stories. They tried to kill Polycarp, who was 86 years old, to destroy the church. What ended up happening is Polycarp's story was shared thousands of times over centuries. And there were thousands of churches just because that man said, for 86 years, I've served my Lord and my Savior. He has you know, never, never, never let me down. How could I not um, you know, pay, pay this price for him in, in sort of modern vernacular? Yeah. Um, yeah. So there, there is no rationality, um, but the irrational love of Jesus calls these people to make the ultimate sacrifice, and somehow um, those stories end up creating more followers of Jesus. You know, you, you know, one outcome of the martyrdom of missionaries often is that as soon as word of the killing gets out, a dozen more missionaries volunteer. They sign up to take his place. Uh, what is the typical, is, is, there, is there a trend in the outcome with sort of the second, third run of missionaries? Do they, do they overcome? I mean, they're, they're, they're more committed. And I'll let Jerry um, also respond, but they're more committed. It's like it galvanizes, it galvanizes the faith. This is why in, in, in all of these persecuted countries, in Iran, we have tens of thousands of small little, small little churches in, in China. Uh, there are more members of, of various churches in China than there are members of the Communist Party. You know, when you look around the world, the more you persecute us, the more the more we we grow. It's the story of our modern time, and I think it's the story of history too, Jerry. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, we have you know so many um, stories that have been saved of underground churches thriving. I will say, in, in, in fairness, and in the audiences uh, across the world listening to this in different places, some places almost lost all of their Christian population, Romania at one point. And we don't understand that. I mean, it, it has risen and then it has subsided. But overall, the, the billions of Christians that have been added through these statements, even Durant, who didn't want to um, endorse Christianity in the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, had to admit that the great acts and the sacrifice, the belief in the historicity of Christ were some of the, the reasons that they were growing. There's a, there's a new book out as well um, 
by Virginia Prodan about saving my assassin, where if you follow what happened in Romania under the communists, they were almost tolerated, if you will, by the West for what they were doing to Christians, and no one was stepping in. I mean, uh, they were separating families. They were uh, People were disappearing. And Mark, the only thing that, that finally stopped all this wasn't all the voices crying out. It was that someone smuggled into Virginia, this five-foot lawyer who had stood up to the, the, the government, and she was just getting ready to flee for her life because there was no way she could stay and represent these churches against the government. Someone snuck into her toilet paper that had been made from Bibles confiscated by Christians that were either persecuted or killed, and the toilet paper was being used in the royal plush bathrooms of the dictator. Hmm. And that finally that finally incensed the leaders of the West, and they crushed Romania, if you will. Hmm. And so we don't know what it is that gets to people. I heard, I heard Anne Graham Lotz. She was the name of the Bible. We hosted her, and, and Johnny actually lined all these uh, wonderful speakers up, Skip Heitzig and others, and uh, I think Tony Evans. So in that series, and you know the highlight of all those, these are all great, great messages there in, in our World Series Theater. It was Anne Graham Lotz quoting a prayer for the, the women of Ukraine, and she asked, where are they now? And what happened was, she was preaching right before this happened on all the war, and a lot of these women got saved, and they held up their, their white hankies throughout the thousands of people, and suddenly they're gone. Suddenly, no one knows where they're at. And, and suddenly, there's an oppression from the Russians, and the church is split. And so, I mean, it's just hard. It's hard to understand what's happening, but I do know that there was a presence of God there in Belarus. I personally know, and and uh, uh, some of the funders involved in using the Bible had donated uh, scrolls to people, and they, they go, and 40,000 people came to see one, one or two scrolls. 40,000 people. So there's an interest in the biblical narrative and there are people that, whether or not they're on the surface worshiping, they showed up to see in their sin, in, in their belief, God's word. So, I mean, it's it's hard to understand, but these stories live on, and we have the heroes of the faith. Uh, one thing I will say about Fox, Mark, he wasn't just about talking about the martyrs, but he said he had a dual purpose in writing this book, to represent those who died for their faith, and to live in infamy, put in infamy the names of those people who persecuted them. Hmm. So um, it's kind of a dual purpose of the book. The book is the new book of Christian martyrs, the heroes of our faith from the first century to the 21st century. Professor Patton Gale, Reverend Moore, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. Good to be here.